0: Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Uh, Next week, actually, we're going to be starting a brand new series uh, called When God Doesn't. When God Doesn't. It's a study in the book of Habakkuk. Um, Many people, maybe, doesn't. What did I do? All right. It's a study in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, I don't know, my wife is snickering. Something's going on. It's this. Okay, something, something it's, it's all them. Anyway, it's studying the book of Habakkuk. And how, most people may not even know where the book of Habakkuk is. I didn't even know how to spell it until I started prepping for this thing. But even if you might not have a connection with Habakkuk or have ever read it, uh, chances are good you can understand the emotional place that Habakkuk was actually in. Uh, if you've ever asked God, where are you in the middle of the storm? If you've ever said, God, I'm tired of waiting for you. If you've ever said, God, why won't you fix this? Then you can probably identify with Habakkuk. And so this is going to be a four-week study where we look at the heart's cry of someone who was willing to complain to God. And God answered him in the middle of his storms. I think it'll be an encouragement for you. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I would encourage you that as we prepare for this, this is great. Habakkuk is only three chapters long, so chances are great, and it takes like less than five minutes to work through them. So maybe in preparation for next week, could we we maybe maybe everyone work on reading the book of Habakkuk? It's in the Old Testament, the tail end of that, one of the minor prophets. I think it'll be a sweet thing. But this week, what we're doing is we're finishing up on relationship killers. Those practices, those habits, those things that we do, that have an inordinate power to destroy or ruin or to soil our relationships. This weekend, we're closing out the series looking at an area in relationships, honestly, that has so much power. It has the power to heal some of these really critical areas or to navigate some of these areas of like that we've already talked about, pride and lust and greed, uh, because it's this issue of communication, communication. It's tricky, it's challenging. J. Edgar Hoover ran the FBI for 37 years. He he ran it with an iron fist and he was powerful and he was intimidating. He was a, a, a major force in the in the bureau. He was seldom questioned, and as a result, his subordinates would often do kind of like whatever it took to impress their boss. Well, there was one uh, one person who was the head of the like the supply office. And thought that he would do a good thing by trying to save some money by decreasing the size of the memo sheets that the inter-office memos that went around. And it was something that most people wouldn't even notice. Now Hoover was really famous for penning his instructions and his comments in this blue ink on the margins of the FBI memos. And perhaps it was this habit that fueled his insistence that there would be always a generous amount of space on the outside of the memos. When one of these new memo sheets ended up on his desk, he took one look at it and determined that he didn't like the size of the sheet of the paper. So he wrote this and he scribbled down Watch the borders. Watch the borders. Unbeknownst to Hoover, when he left the office that day, that memo was passed on from hand to hand, and oddly enough, it became strangely difficult for anyone to enter the United States through Canada or through Mexico. Why? Because the FBI was literally watching the borders of the country. They thought that they had received this marching order from their their chief, and so they didn't want to fail him, but they hadn't. They had simply taken this harmless comment about how big the paper was, and they wanted to defend the country from that warning, and they spent millions of dollars doing so. This story shows us something, that communication can actually be really tricky. Anyone who has been in a relationship for any amount of time can testify to that, that our communication is challenging, is so important. It determines the quality and the direction of your relationships all around you and is the difference between a thriving relationship and a deteriorating one. So we're talking about our words, the words that we choose in the relationships around us. Our words can fill someone with hope or they can fill someone with encouragement or they can discourage them and it can tear them down. It can drive someone away or it can pull them in close. And the cool thing is this, as we study this this weekend, if someone is even not real sure about this Jesus thing, this is lots of application and practicality as we study this this weekend. The big idea, the big idea, in case anyone has to leave early, uh, if the power goes down in here or uh, on the internet, as someone is watching or whatever, the big idea is this, and it's going to be a little phrase, and I want you to repeat it after me, so I'm going to say the first part, and then you're going to echo it back. Okay, ready? Here we go. Quick to listen, Quick to listen. slow to speak. Slow to speak. Quick, to listen, Quick to listen, and slow to speak. And we're actually gonna dial it back to like junior high camp here, all right? And we're gonna put some hand motions with this. So everyone right here, wherever you're at, all right? Hold your hands out like this, right? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna say, quick to listen and slow to speak. All right, let's do it again, you ready? Quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to speak. Now, why do we say that? Because when we're in conflict with someone, and we start having these challenging conversations, we can be real quick, we kind of close up our fists, and when we do that, we're kind of getting ready, we're bracing ourselves for the fight that's gonna happen, and when we do that, we start preparing our argument, we start closing down our minds, we start closing down our hearts, and the thing is this, the reason that we do this, the reason that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak is because that's exactly what we want the other person to do for us. We want the exact same thing from someone else when we're in that conflict. We want the same thing. Both parties want to be heard. Both parties want to be understood. When I'm in a conflict, I want them to understand me, I want them to hear me, and they want me to understand, and they want me to hear them. And we would say this, we would say, you know what, we may never agree, but I at least want you to listen to me. We may never agree, but I at least want you to listen to me. We may never agree on how we would parent our children. We may never agree on this decision at work. We may never agree on the major that I should take in college or how we should resolve this issue, but come on, at least at least hear me out. And if, you're, if something's gonna come out of your mouth, at least let it be something that acknowledges, like says, uh-huh, okay, all right, you know, something that's confirming that you've heard what I have to say, because after all, i can't even think about hearing you until i know that you've heard me in this conflict and to some extent you can't hear from me until you know that that i've heard you now if if you've grown up in church you probably know that this quick list is so like that's not something i've made up i'm taking it i've stolen it from someone in the bible I'm stolen it from actually jesus's younger brother james Right. He had some really wise things to say about how we communicate in our relationships, things about the tongue and controlling the tongue and how it's this small little part of our body. But it has such power to steer the ship like a rudder, like a small spark can catch a whole forest on fire. Our words have an inordinate amount of power to impact everyone else and James writes this letter and this is what James says in the beginning of his letter in chapter 1 now if you're a woman you need to listen this is so powerful so amazing what James steps in to do when he starts out his letter now listen because in this time Women were not, didn't have any rights. They were seen as, as property. They weren't allowed to vote. Their, their, their testimony wasn't valid in the court of law. A father would just, would just use, like marrying off his daughter for his own political or economic gains, right? So women were given very low status. And when James starts out in James chapter one, this is what he says. He says, my brothers and sisters, let me find the right spot. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, and sisters this was radical he was saying something new has happened here and Jesus has equated this thing so there's there's no longer this greater than and less than equation going on he includes them he makes everybody on the same page you don't get to domineer your way over someone else no no my brothers and sisters both of you listen listen Take note of this. Sit up straight, and if you're a note taker, take note of this, he says. Everyone should be quick to listen. Quick to listen and slow. Just be quick to listen. That almost doesn't make any sense. Those two words don't feel like they should go together. How can I be quick to hear something? They're the one that takes all the time to get it out. Why why do I be quick to listen? Why did James do that? Well, he took these two words that don't seem like they fit together and he put them together to kind of emphasize how very important this is. And here's his point. Your first priority, your number one thing, the most important thing that you can do in your communication, in your relationships, is to listen. Because come on. Isn't that exactly what we want other people to do for us? We want them to listen. And the James is saying, look, my older brother Jesus, and that's just so amazing, right? Think about James, like living with Jesus, and like how hard would it be when your older brother is like the son of God and he doesn't do anything wrong, right? I mean, can you imagine? But he was convinced about this and he saw how Jesus taught. And James said, when Jesus stepped in, this is what he taught. He taught that we should be considerate of other people, that we should do for others what God through Christ did for you. And that what we should do is that what we wish, wish other people would do for us. We want other people to listen to us and James would say, then you be quick to listen. And then he says, and be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. It literally means be late. Be late to speak. When it comes to your words, wait and be late. And I would just add, be curious. Ask questions. And you think, man, if I ask questions, they're just going to go on and on and on and on. And I'm trying to make them stop talking and, they're just gonna, and it's going to take them down another rabbit trail and then it's never going to stop. And I'll say, look, then ask three questions. Give them lots of on-ramps to express and explain and describe how they're experiencing things because the more that they speak, the more that you learn. Now, listen, if you're a parent how much would you give if you could convince your children to be curious when you have something to communicate with them? And kids, kids, you want to freak out mom and dad, the next time they start giving you one of those dad talks or those mom talks, you know, those ones that you're like, come on, when will they stop, right? Then just say this, say, hey, dad, I don't really see things your way. I don't really understand it how you understand it, but I want to. Could you find another way to express that? Oh my gosh, like game over. It's done at that point because we're so used to just argue, 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 argue. No one ever asks questions. Instantly, the weapons will be put away and you will engage with them at a deep level with their relationships. If we can just learn to pause, to ask questions, to be slow to speak, to be quick to listen it changes everything and let me flip that around for just a moment because some of my worst parenting moments are those times when I was quick to tell them what I thought about that thing and I never took the time to ask them how they experienced it what they were processing what they're challenged with when I made assumptions and I didn't seek knowledge. And listen, if, we're, if you're a person in authority, like you get this, because we walk around and we have all of these buckets. We have a bucket of knowledge and we have a bucket of experience and we have a bucket of resources. And as soon as that, those conflicts come in, I'm just gonna get ready to give you do- both barrels and I'm just gonna dump all my wisdom on you and all my knowledge on you. And say, hey, what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing that. You need to change your thing. I've got all the resources. I've got all the authority. You don't even have frontal lobe development yet. Listen to me. I'm in charge. And then what happens is we look and we say, why is it my kids don't want to talk to me anymore? Why won't they just communicate with me? Because we've been quick to speak and we've been slow to listen. Parents, we need to know this. Husbands, you need this. Wives, you need to know this. You can write the person you love right out of the door. You can write your kids right out of the relationship. You can write your wife or write your husband right out the door. You can write that rock star employee on your team right out of the company. And you'll write them right out of the relationships because ultimately, in in a relationship, I want to be understood. I don't want to be lectured. And I'm willing to be open to your ideas and I'm willing to be open to your thoughts if I thought for just a moment that you would be open to at least hearing me and understanding how I experience things. And we know this is important because we've been on both sides of this issue, haven't we? We've seen our kids' eyes glaze over and we think, man, I don't understand. I know I'm right. I know I've got all the wisdom and all the experience. Why won't they communicate with me? And James would say, because you're being an idiot. You need to be quick to listen and slow to listen. To speak. If you want to enhance your relationships, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And James would say if you can do those two things, this next part becomes very easy. He says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Being slow to become angry is both a result and it's a decision. It's a result of being quick to listen and slow to speak, and it's a decision. If you're being quick to listen and slow to speak, you're less likely to become angry, and it's easier to guard your heart against that anger when you decide ahead of time that I'm going to be curious. Now, anger in this kind of context, and honestly, we all have our own way of, like, expressing anger. Like, we have, like, those volcano kind of people that just finally, like, boom, it explodes all over the place, right? And then you have those people that just kind of withdraw, right? You know, kind of like the, hey, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong, you know, until finally you manipulate them into hearing you and what you have to say. Like, we have those withdrawals, and we have these explosion kind of people. And the point is this. James is saying, like, that kind of anger, that situation, that is so bad for your relationship, and one of the ways that we can bypass that kind of explosive or that moody behavior is learning to understand where the other person is coming from. We've got to be quick to listen and slow to speak. This, this anger that, that he's talking about is this impulse that we have to jump to hasty conclusions and misinformed conclusions that do nothing but create conflict in our relationships and destroy things. So here's, here's James's formula. He says this, he says the more you listen, the more you listen, the less angry you'll be. The longer you listen, the more you'll learn, the less angry you, you'll you become. And here's, and here's why this works, and when I say this, this is gonna make all the sense in the world and you're gonna be like, wow, that is one of the most profound things they've ever spoken in church. This is gonna be what you wanna tweet about the message today. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Everything that everyone does makes sense to them. Everything that everyone does makes sense to them. And and I would say everything that everyone says makes sense to them as well. So when you hear yourself saying, I don't know why they're saying that, I don't know why they've made that kind of decision. I don't know why they believe things that way. I don't know why anyone would do that. Who has the problem? I'll give you a hint. I don't understand why they under- think that way. I don't understand why they believe that. It sounds like actually I have some learning to do. Because guess what? Newsflash. They all have perfectly good reasons to say and to do the things that they're saying and that they're doing. Just like you have perfectly good reasons, everyone, everything that everyone else does makes perfect sense to them as well. I've always lived on the East Coast. I've always been around trees and lots of grass. There's never been a lot of pollution or smog. I mean, maybe... You'll see like a Walmart bag caught in the bushes every once in a while. But largely, it's a very lovely place to live on the East Coast. And so I could never understand when there were populations in our country from like urban spaces that would just be really environmentally aware and conscious and motivated. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. It was not something I had experienced. Um, Until a couple years ago, we went to California and we went and it was beautiful it was amazing there's these snow-capped mountains and you're like on the beach and you can see the mountains from there with snow on it and we went and got to see these elephant seals on the beach and we got to see whales in the bay and and we got to see also we went uh, hikes up through the woods and there's these amazing trees all these colors on the bark and it's just amazing and we were at this overlook and at this overlook we're looking at a valley and they had a full-time permanent plaque there And it said, you see how you can't see the other side of this valley? It's because this is, what you see is not a cloud. That's smog. It's there all the time. And I'm sitting there going, man, what a shame. We're surrounded by all this beauty and there's all this pollution. You know what? I needed to stop to understand, to learn how they experience. Now it makes a little bit more sense to me while people from certain areas really care and are really motivated by some of those things. I had to stop to try to understand and experience what they experienced. Now now I understand. It's not a question mark for me. Stephen Covey wrote in his book Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. Uh, his fifth habit in that is this. That he says this. He says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Ta-da, sounds like something we just read, right? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Seek first, it means that I need to ask questions and listen, and only when I understand, then do I seek to be understood. When we're in conversations and when we're in conflict, and when we just listen to reply, when we just listen to build our argument When we just listen to to defend our case or our perspective, we're not learning anything. And when we don't learn anything, it's going to make it harder to make the relationship better because we all have a filter through which we understand the world. My age, where I grew up, what my culture is, what my income level is, and I can't even begin to understand how someone else who grew up in a different situation, in a different context than I, I can't even begin to understand what they've gone through. So it means that if I start to open my mouth or I start to judge them, I'm being a fool until I can stop to understand their point of view and their perspective, which requires that I do more listening than speaking. So James would say, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, I am far from perfect in this area. I'm regularly trying to grow in this. But men in the room, I wanna give you a... A pro tip for life here that's that's gonna be worth its weight I promise and it's this when you're in relationships with your wife I'm gonna teach you one phrase that's gonna help you grow in this area it's this you ready tell me more tell me more man they said that to you at the mall I can't believe that tell me more oh my gosh that happened to you in life group oh man tell me more Wow, that person cut you off in line. Tell me more. Tell me more. I, want, I don't want to cut it off. I don't want to fix your problems. Tell me more. How have you experienced it? That simple phrase may be more to help you defuse and, and to build relationship than anything else. Now, if we stopped right there, be slow to speak, be, be quick to listen, if we stopped right there, that's, that's pretty good, Right? That's pretty good, like that's a good practices for life. But James actually says this. He says it goes beyond just like getting along with people. He says there's actually a divine agenda at play here. Take a look in the next verse, in James chapter one, we're in verse 19. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, be slow to speak, slow to become angry. He says, because, and we would say, yeah, I know the reason. And the reason is because if I ask questions, if I'm curious, I'll be calmer and then I'll be more convincing and then they'll believe me and then I can get things my way. Or if I'm really good at asking questions, I'll be able to steer the conversation in the direction that I want it to go. That's actually, you know, good conversationalists just know how to ask questions and move it. The direction of, right? No, 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 no. J- James says, that's, that's not it. That's not it. He would, he would say, this is such a big deal. He says, because, because human anger and human anger is this I'm upset because I'm not getting things my way. I had an expectation and it's not meeting my experience. He says human anger like that does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So in any conflict, there are three agendas going on there's my agenda, I want to be right. There's your agenda, you want to be right. And there's God's agenda. My agenda, man. If you just understood things my way, you know what, then, then you would be able to, uh, you know, you would, then, then you'd understand that I'm right and that you're wrong and then you think the same thing. And so my anger produces my rightness. I know that I'm right. I want you to know that I'm right. I want everyone to know that I'm right. I want you to throw your hands up in the air and say, look, they're right. But that's not what James says. He says that's not the kind of rightness that God is after. This is what he draws us into. This is what's so important. That when we're in conflict with someone, we try to be right at each other. But God wants us to be right with each other. We spend all of our time trying to be right at one another and God says, I care that you are right with one another. And it's a big difference. I want to convince you that I'm right. I want you to admit it. But let's be honest Let's be honest, for any of you in a relationship, when you win the argument, have you really won? No, no, you haven't. I won the argument, I won the argument. Well, where is she? Well, she left. I won the argument, I, where'd he go? I stormed out the door. We think we've won, but we lost the relationship. Parents, we can we can write, we can be right and write our kids right out the door. And James would say this. Hey, look, Christians, those people who would say, I followed after Jesus, that's not what God wants from you. That's not his agenda. God's not on your side, God's not on their side. You keep trying to be right at each other. God just wants you to be right with one another. And so this is what James is doing. He's saying he's drawing us into this great commandment that Jesus gave us. This great commandment that says, is one overarching thing that as I have loved you, so you're supposed to love one another. And what's interesting is when you read the New Testament and you see how Jesus operated in his ministry, he didn't come to be right. If he wanted to be right, that would be a 30 minute conversation. Everybody have a seat. I'm gonna tell you how it is, he's gonna snap his fingers, some miracles are gonna happen, he's gonna embarrass some people for their arrogant thoughts, and then everyone's gonna know that he's right. He didn't come to be right, he, come to, he came to make right. He came to make people right with God. If Jesus came to be right, it, would ha, it wouldn't have ended with him dying on the cross, a sinner's death. He came to make people right with God. And James would say, hey, Scott, guess what? Your job as a Jesus follower is to embrace that kind of mission of your Savior, that he didn't come to be right. He came to reconcile someone to God and reconcile people to each other. So you don't have to come and insist on your rights. You can come and you can reconcile people to yourself and to others. And we would look at that and we would say, James, how do we do that? He would say, I've already told you, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Be quick to listen. Be slow to become angry. If the two of you aren't right, it doesn't matter if you are right, if you, uh, who is right because you are both wrong. And you don't need to win the relational argument or the fight in the marriage. If there's, if there's no winner, if things aren't right between you. in fact, In fact, and you know this, being right can actually end up being very wrong. So this is what James continues to say. He says, uh, therefore, verse 21, get rid of all moral filth. This word get rid of, it's this word that says like take off that jacket. Get rid of, take off that coat. Take off your jacket. He says, take that off. He says, you're walking around with an I'm right jacket. You're walking around with a coat that says, I'm right. The whole goal in the relationships is that this person would see that I am right and how right I am. And he would say, you gotta take that off. You gotta rid yourself of that. And he calls it moral filth. Wow, it's kind of a strong language for that, isn't it? It's kind of nasty. And here's why. Because when we have self-rightness, what the, what the Bible calls self-rightness, righteousness self-rightness it quickly becomes something that's morally pretty ugly after a while it becomes pretty gross and James would say hey if you're gonna follow Jesus if you're gonna if you're gonna be reconciled to God you've got to take that off take that off and he says there's something else that you got to take off too he says there's take off the evil that is so prevalent now this word evil it's actually also translated malice Malice is intentionally doing someone harm. And when we, get, when we have on that jacket of I'm right and I'm going to show you how right I am, it can quickly turn into I'm going I'm to tighten the screws on you so you can see and so you can experience and I want you to feel the pain and it can quickly become Malicious. The desire to harm, harm someone. And James would look at that and say, that kind of behavior, that's what epitomizes your culture. That's, the, that's, 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 when, that's what everyone around you wants to do. But when it dawns on you, when you're right in the middle of an argument and it dawns on you, you know what I have on the coat of I'm right and I'm just trying to tighten the screws to them and I'm gonna show you the books that I've read that shows me how right I am and Dr. Phil said this or your mother-in-law's wrong about that or, and we've built the case against them when, when I just want them to be uncomfortable in their wrongness, when I do that, he says, pause, take a moment, be curious, take off that anger, take off that argumentativeness, recognize that self-rightness is ugly, it's morally filthy We know where it's going to lead us. And then he says this, I'm going to give you an alternative. I'm going to take off those things, but there's something that we're going to put on instead. He says this, and humbly accept the word planted in you. Humbly accept. I got to take off that rights, the rights, and I got to put on humility. And humility is, is what says this. It says that we... And getting along and the relationship is more important than me. And us being right together is more important than me being right together and me getting my way. He says, he says, I want you to receive the word planted in you. And he would say, hey, you're Christians, aren't you? Right? Like you've accepted Jesus. You know about his love for you. You're Jesus followers. So what that means is that you've got the framework. You understand that God sacrificed, that he died for you, that he did all of that to reconcile his relationship for you. And since you've already accepted that, do that. Do that in your relationships. And we would say, how? He said, well, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. He says, step back into these basic truths that you've already accepted when you accepted Christ to be your savior. Then he says this, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And it's not talking about like eternal salvation. He's talking about saving you now, saving your relationship, saving your job, saving your relationship with your son or daughter, saving that employee from walking out, saving that divorce from occurring. But the key word is this. The key word is to accept it. That you've got to step back. You've got to embrace what you've already believed when you became a Christian because doing that makes all the difference. So here's what James, the brother of Jesus, martyred in AD 63, who, who so believed it that his brother was the son of God. That's just a, a huge, huge deal that he was thrown off the top of the temple and eventually stoned because he wouldn't deny the fact that his brother was the Christ. This is what he says. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, we're all on equal footing. One of you doesn't get to say, I'm going to insist on my way, submit to one another. My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen. Say it with me be quick to listen, slow to speak. And if you're quick to listen, you're slow to speak, it means this, it means that you're gonna be slow to become angry. And human anger, that that I didn't get what I want, so I'm upset, right, it doesn't produce the kind of righteousness that God desires. So he says, get rid of, take off all of that moral filth, that rightness, take off that maliciousness that I wanna do harm to them that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's been implanted in you. Step back to that basic truth about what God has done for you and in you. When you started this journey, it can save you. So get your hands out with me. Here we go. Ready? Quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Don't always settle for being right. Work to make the relationships right. Spend a moment in prayer before we're done here for the evening. Every eye closed, every head bowed. And just as you think about the landscape of the relationships in your life, there's probably a relationship or two that you could say, you know what, I need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. What would that diffuse? Would you in this time right now, just going to have some moments of silence, would you go before God, talk to Him about that? Ask for his help. Abba, we are all broken and we are all in need of your mercy and grace that we've experienced when we said, I do to you. And we need that mercy and grace to empower us to love others well. God, this weekend I wanna pray for those marriages that could use a extra portion of being quick to listen. To love with compassion, to care with curiosity. To have the energy to step into the emotional space and t- turmoil of each other's humanity is not easy. We need your spirit to do that, God. I want to pray for the marriages and our faith community. For those husband and, and husbands and wives that just seem to always be at each other, can't see eye to eye. And there's real brokenness there. God, would you... Allow each person to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Supernaturally, supernaturally. And where there's been collisions and fights, God, where there'd be openness and restoration and healing in Christ's name. And for those relationships with parents and children where communication is broken apart, Would that quick to listen, slow to speak, go both directions? Give us compassion for each other's humanity, just as you have compassion for ours. For those that are in a position of authority, God, empower us to care deeply about how those that you've entrusted us to experience things just as you condescended to our level of existence to care about how we experience things too. God, we love you, we praise you. May we be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Come back next weekend.